Heavenly Father, please give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, and hearts to respond rightly to your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy and awesome name. Amen. I want to start off by asking you guys a question. What do you feel most confident doing? Confidence is normally situational, right? Give a professional golfer a golf club and send them out onto a golf course and they'll have a bit of confidence. But give that same professional golf club, golfer, an ironing board and tell them to jump out of an aeroplane and you're expecting an iron shirt at the bottom, I'm pretty sure they'd have zero confidence. What situation do you find yourself most confident? I'm not sort of sure what sort of things might be coming to your mind. It might be cooking porridge for your family on a cold, brisk winter's morning. Or if your mind went straight to work, maybe it's that particular part of your job that's like switching off your brain and turning on autopilot. Or maybe it's having those chats with your best and closest friends over coffee. Or maybe the only time that you feel confident is at home in your PJs. And what I want to point out here is that there's always a reason behind someone's confidence. A professional golfer has confidence in their own skill. They've put so much work and effort into that golf swing. If someone's confident cooking porridge on a cold winter's morning, it's because they know their family appreciates that on those sorts of mornings. If it's that part of your work that's like being on autopilot, you're confident because you know that work like the back of your hand and you have the ability to do it easily. If it's having coffee or chats with those you're closest to, you're confident in their love for you. Or if it's just being at home, you're confident that you're safe. Today we're looking at Psalm 27 and it shows David's amazing confidence But this confidence kind of feels different. David has this almost miraculous confidence in a situation that should make our blood run cold. Just to give you a bit of context of David's life some 3,000 years ago, David has faced off against armies multiple times in his life. He's faced down the Philistines and their particular giant of theirs, Goliath, in his youth. Before he became king, before he got the throne, the first king, Saul, chased him with his army to try and kill him. Now, most commentators believe that Psalm 27 was written when he was king, but when his son raised up an army seeking to kill him. Regardless, David has been in a situation where an army is chasing him down multiple times in his life. I don't think I have to try and convince you that that is a terrifying situation. An army chasing you down. Thousands upon thousands of trained military men, each one able and equipped to kill you. And they are hunting you anywhere you go. Sounds a bit like a biblical version of that movie, The Fugitive. One guy on the run from everyone else. If I was in David's shoes and a king was chasing me down with his army to cut off my head, I would be constantly filled with dread. And this psalm is filled with that sort of imagery. An army deploys against David. Evildoers coming against God's anointed. David is surrounded by deadly enemies. It is a terrifying 
situation. Yet he starts off this song with whom should I fear? Of whom should I be afraid? My heart isn't afraid. Still, I am confident. How is David not afraid? What possible reason could there be behind his unwavering confidence in the face of his enemies? Well, we're given the long and the short of it in this amazing psalm. In those first three verses, he gives us the short of it. And the answer is the Lord. The Lord is my light. Why should I fear? The Lord is my salvation. Whom is it that can frighten me? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who's going to take my life from this stronghold? Evildoers, foes, enemies, armies deploying, wars breaking out. I am confident. And what a picture these first three verses paint. A man completely outnumbered, surrounded on every side, but our eyes are drawn to the attention, the focal point is the Lord. He's the one who is the man's light and salvation. The Lord is the reason for David's confidence. Yahweh is the impressive one in this situation. He's that powerful stronghold. And as I'm trying to imagine that picture, it kind of feels like it should be in some sort of museum, right? A biblical epic. Wonderfully painted, beautifully framed. But is this painting meant to be realistic? Or is it meant to be that emotional sort of painting or that contemporary art which we're just meant to get a vibe from? Are we to have the same sort of confidence depicted here? Well, let's read the rest of the psalm, which is kind of like a behind-the-scenes of that amazing picture in the first three verses. Because in the rest of the psalm, we see David's prayer to the Lord and David's hope in the Lord. David is living on a hope and a prayer. Now, in this psalm, David declares his prayer and then he states his hope. And that's kind of the flow of the passage. I've tried to color code it for us. It didn't quite come out the way I thought it would. But if we zoom in on those first three verses, that's the picture being painted. It's meant to be kind of orange, but I'm not sure if you're getting that. But then what we'll see if we click the next slide is that there's a pair of a prayer and a hope. Prayer in green, hope in blue, the reason for his confidence. There's one there, but then he goes again. Another prayer, another reason for his confidence. And then a third time, another prayer and another reason for his confidence. We are going to be looking at three prayers and three hopes. So, why don't we look at David's first prayer. In verse 4, when his life is on the line, what does David's heart desire? He desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. I want to be with the beautiful Lord of glory in his house. One of David's greatest desires is to look upon and behold the Lord. He knows that the be-all and end-all of his life is that his eyes see God in all his majesty and in all his light because seeing the Lord is what you do when you're in his presence. I want to be with the Lord. And then he goes on to say, and to seek him. 
To know him is that other major part of dwelling with the Lord of glory. David wants to see and to seek the Lord in his house. When I think back over the times that I've ever longed to be somewhere, the most recent one has to be lockdown, right? In lockdown, I longed to be with you guys. This is almost like our house at church, our brothers and sisters dwelling together. How good. But dwelling in the Lord's house is the grandest place to be, where the one that we treasure is. That's the place that we can see and be with the Lord. David prays this first prayer of dwelling in the Lord's house, and then he states his hope. Look down at verses 5 and 6. He will conceal me in his shelter. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. That's tabernacle language where God is. Then I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. The place of salvation, the safest place, is with the Lord, under his shelter, in his tent, in his presence. The Lord, he will save David. And we know David really does know God as Savior. In David's youth, again facing down that Philistine army and that one guy in particular, Goliath, He was facing off against him, and he says something which you will not find in any children's picture book. David says this to Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that this assembly, these quaking, shaking Israelites who wouldn't dare defy Goliath, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. David knows the scriptures. He knows that the Lord saved the Israelites out of Egypt. He knows that the Lord dwells with them in his holy tabernacle. The safest place in the whole world for David is in the Lord's tent, in his presence, in the presence of Of the Lord who saves. And don't we have that same hope? Don't we have the clear word of God showing us that He saves? Don't we have a certain Savior in our Lord Jesus Christ? This hope sounds so familiar. Yet, can we say the same thing about David's prayer? What David's heart longs for? Is that what our heart? longs for. When was the last time that you, in a quiet moment, your heart's desire was to be with and see God in all his majesty and in all his light? As I was spending time in this psalm, it really did convict me of how much my heart's desire is not set on seeing the Lord and being in his presence. Most of my heart, most of my prayers are on the temporary, the here and the now. And it's not that we shouldn't be praying for the here and the now, but it's telling if it's the only thing in our prayers. We really do need this psalm to learn to long and pray for being with God. Our hearts are meant to grow and change in the same way that our actions are meant to grow and change, in the same way that our minds are meant to grow and change. Our desires need to grow and change and be for the Lord. 
We can and should pray like this. So if that's the case, why don't we look at David's second prayer? Look down at verses 7 to 9. The Lord says this to David, You are to seek my face. And then David responds, Lord, I will seek your face. But do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not leave or abandon me. God here commands David, You are to seek my face. Seek to be face to face with me. Dwell closely with me. Seek my face. And with a close relationship, David then turns around and prays that the Lord would not turn away. He would not hide his face or leave and abandon him. May this intimate relationship never be broken. Please, Lord, don't leave me. In the face of armies coming against David, may this close relationship with the Lord not be cut off. Because being cut off from the Lord is death. And what is David's hope in light of his prayer of closeness? We'll look down at verse 10. Even if my mother, or even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Even if the people who are closest to me abandon me, the Lord won't. He cares for me. David's hope, the reason for his confidence when his life is threatened, is his closeness with the Lord. And again, doesn't that hope sound familiar? Do we know the God who cares and is close to us, who won't abandon us? In 1 Peter 5, we're commanded to cast all our anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Thinking back to David's life, he still had massive ups and downs. His son tried to take his life and his throne. But God is close and cares for David. And that doesn't mean that his life suddenly becomes easy. God cares for David by being faithful to his promises. David will dwell in the house of the Lord. He won't be killed by his son. He will return to the house of the Lord again, the tabernacle. And did you know that the Lord cares for you? In so much of a bigger way than if you're sick or healthy, if you're rich or poor, if your life gets better or worse, can't get much worse than David's son trying to kill him. We have a wonderful hope of dwelling closely with God, the God who created the universe, and he won't abandon us. Why don't we keep the ball rolling and look down at David's third prayer? In verses 11 and 12, he says this, Show me your way. Lead me on a level path. Don't give me over to the will of my foes. David is praying, come and lead me, guide and show me. God has to be with David as he goes along the Lord's way. But what is the way of the Lord? What is his way? The way of the Lord is obedience. If we cast our minds back to Deuteronomy 5, Moses says this to the Israelites, You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. The way of the Lord, the level path, is living in obedience to the very word of God. If we keep our minds in Deuteronomy for one more second, the blessing that goes along with obedience is life with the Lord. 
The will of David's foes is death. They want him dead. But David wants to obey the Lord and have a life with him. And how confident is David that he will have this sort of life? We'll look down at verses 13 and 14. David's hope. And how certain is he? I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. God's word is full of promises concerning life. Obey God's word, certain life with the Lord. Live opposed to God, certain death and destruction. David's hope is in these promises of God. You know the ones where God promises life to sinners? And as we're thinking through this psalm, is this the only time that we get to look at God's anointed king and see his prayer and his hope? Well, not at all. That was from our second reading in John 17. The anointed king facing death, wrath, and enemies all around, and Jesus is living on a certain hope and a certain prayer. David was living on a prayer and a hope. I do hope that the next time you hear living on a prayer by Bon Jovi, you remember Psalm 27. But as Jesus is praying through in John 17, we hear him pray for this in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Did you know that that's what Jesus' heart desires? The one we love, the one we sing about here at church, desires us to be with him where he is and to see his glory. And how similar is that to David's first prayer of being with the Lord and being able to gaze upon his beauty? How comforting is it that the King of Kings longs for us to be with him in glory? Jesus continues praying, and then in verse 26, he says this, I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. What a prayer of perfect, close unity with the Father. Never to be abandoned. He says, I want to make the Father known in order that the love the Father has for the Son may be in them. That's us. The Lord truly does care and love us. But what about Jesus' hope as he's going towards this cross? Well, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Have you ever thought that's a bit of a weird word to use? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The reason for Jesus' confidence as he is about to go and endure the cross is that joy. And we've just read that Jesus' desire is for his people to dwell closely with him and to see his glory. That is the joy set before Jesus. Jesus has joy over that hope of us dwelling with him and seeing his glory. And his death on the cross makes that a certainty for us. This cross was at the heart of every promise God has made. The cross is at the heart of what David was praying and longing for. 
The dwelling with the Lord that David wrote about in Psalm 27 is only possible by the wonderful deed of Jesus dying on that cross. Friends, we are in the prayer and the hope of Jesus Christ. I really do want you to be comforted by the prayer and the hope of our King. Because right now, we dwell in a world where we are surrounded by sin and death. Suffering, sickness, despair, COVID, it can be really hard to be confident in the Lord. But God has shown us by his word today that David lived on a hope and on a prayer. That Jesus lives with a certain hope and a certain prayer so that we might have the same hope and that same prayer. We can be confident in the Lord. We can be praying through this psalm this week, longing to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So whatever may come, wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. Amen.